Hello and welcome to the 905er podcast. I'm Roland Tanner. I am Joel McLeod. And for recent months there have been some very high profile stories in the media that concern Ontario schools and even some specifically about schools in the 905 region. Some attracted a lot of media attention and some attracted the sort of attention from far right groups that makes our stomachs sink every time we see it. But here's the thing, speak to a teacher and it's unlikely that the issues that have been dominant in the media are remotely what they see as the important challenges currently being faced in Ontario's schools. Instead, it's their feeling of a worsening risk from violence in the classroom and a lack of tools and supports to handle students with sometimes very serious behavioural problems that we found dominates their experience. This extends to a feeling sometimes that teachers are seriously undermined by school administrators and board staff in their attempts to maintain basic order and a safe classroom, and even that there is a wide culture of discouraging staff from making official reports of serious incidents. The Elementary Teachers Federation of Ontario, or EFTO, has made violence in schools one of its key priorities over the last half decade. We are therefore delighted today to be joined by Karen Brown, President of EFTO, to discuss this story in depth. Karen began her career as a special education teacher with the Toronto District School Board in 1993. She has worked extensively in the area of autism and children's mental health, and Karen is passionate about the early years and also holds a diploma in early childhood education. Since 2009, Karen has been a member of the EFTO Provincial Executive, becoming president in 2021. She is committed to promoting equity and social justice. Hi, I'm Emily Roger, and I host a leadership show called The Boiling Point with my co-host, Dave Vale. Together, we sit down with trailblazing entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and movement makers who are driving meaningful change in our world. The show is all about exploring the lives and perspectives of leaders who are making a difference. Join us for insightful conversations that challenge the status quo, spark new ideas, and inspire you to take action. Find us on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or at BoilingPointPodcast.com. Hello, um, welcome Karen Brown, uh, President of the Elementary Teachers Federation of Ontario. Uh, welcome to the podcast today. Thank you. Thank, thank you for having me. Um, I thought I'd start, I mean, at the end of February, I noticed that EFTO had published a press release on the subject of mental health in schools and the need for fully funded mental health supports for students. And I, I saw a quote in that paragraph that I thought was really um, uh, pertinent for what we're discussing today. Uh, so I'm just going to un- somewhat unusually just read the whole paragraph. Okay. Um, EFTO members report feeling overwhelmed and concerned about the volume of support that is expected from them, curriculum implementation, closing learning gaps, and addressing increased mental health needs. Although educators are strongly committed to supporting student mental health, they are not mental health professionals. They do not possess the specific skills required to address complex mental health needs, some of which can lead to violence in schools. When mental health needs go unaddressed, violence increases. Uh, just to sort of get us going in this conversation, uh, maybe you could tell us more about the sorts of challenges that teachers face every day when they go into a classroom. Mm-hmm. Well, we know that um, since the, the, the pandemic, 
um, you know, students have uh, had a, a great deal of issues that they were dealing with, uh, with mental health issues, coping issues, uh, and then coming back to in-person learning, uh, we have not seen the, the investment in resources that are needed in the, in the, in the system. So what we're, we're seeing are, are students who are not um, properly being assessed on time. So the identification of their needs, uh, there's a delay in that because of the, the lack of psychologists. Uh, they're not getting the opportunity, them and their families to be supported because social workers aren't, aren't present uh, within the, in the school system. So we're, we're seeing students who aren't being identified. And that means that if they're also a delay in identification, they're not getting the support. So no one's actually um, there to provide uh, the resources, uh, the, the training, the supports, the things that those students would need to succeed. So we're seeing some of those behaviors uh, being acted out uh, in, in the classroom. So some of our most vulnerable students are students with uh, uh, special needs and, and, just, and just our students who have overall behavioral issues. So, you know, our members are, are, are complaining, uh, and I don't want to say complaining, they're addressing the concerns that they're hearing uh, in, in the classroom uh, around, you know, being hit, being kicked, being bitten, uh, desk being thrown, having to evacuate the classroom, uh, sometimes daily, sometimes two, three times a week. Uh, so those are some of the the challenges. So learning is being interrupted, um, and the stu uh, students are witnessing violence uh, against their 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 teachers, their educators. So it could be an early child educator, it could be the classroom teacher. Uh, so students are seeing that. We're seeing almost a normalization of that behavior, and there's been a concern in regards to uh, how administrators are are responding to to some of these concerns. So that's well, sort of what we're seeing. I think, I think you raised a, a couple of points that the, we've heard raised as well. We did, you know, we've done some sort of background research and in preparation for doing this episode and spoke to a, to a few teachers and, and those are certainly themes that came up, uh, that normalization of a, of a level of, of violence. And I think um, definitely a, a major theme that, that we heard was that um, teachers don't feel that they have the backing of the administration when, when things happen and happen. In fact, um, something we've heard multiple times is this kind of idea that something bad happens, the teacher is blamed, um, that, the, well, you're not following the procedures properly, you're not doing things right, therefore it's your fault, um, which, you know, kind of victim blaming, really. Um, uh, uh, is, is that something you're, you're familiar with? Um, we conducted our, our first uh, survey in, in 2019. So we've been addressing the issue of violence since, since 2017. And a majority of our members at that time, about 68%, um, um, indicated that they reported um, a, a physical force uh, issue to their principal or vice principal to their school administrators. And at the same time, that many felt that this, this, these concerns were not um, addressed seriously. So they weren't acted on immediately. And, and sometimes there was a, a concern uh, that it was a, a classroom management issue, that the, the teacher wasn't managing uh, the class well, and those were the issues, as opposed to looking at some of the underlying issues and uh, in, in, in advocating for more supports. So the administrators themselves you know, are also overwhelmed but uh, to really having those conversations to look at the root cause 
Uh, and um, and that was part of the some of the information that came out earlier when we did our first survey. We were actually in the process of conducting our our second survey now. Uh, was that you know our members also had a, a fear of, of of reporting these incidents because they didn't feel that the concerns were acted on. Uh, many were concerned about reprisal. You know, they're 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 um, you know that those those were some general concerns that we. We got out of that so yeah I we... actually I can echo that I just want to echo that as well because mm-hmm. again the, the people the teachers we've spoken to and and uh you know for a variety of reasons they didn't they didn't feel comfortable coming onto a podcast as well but but were willing to sort of speak off the record mm-hmm. um I think they're called green sheets or they used to I mean, they're probably digital now but uh the, there's uh, incident reporting uh paperwork mm-hmm. there's a strong culture of discouraging teachers from filling in that paperwork to record incidents um which seems to me as a as a as a layperson unforgivable and, and also asking for trouble um but but i guess it's about protecting school statistics and and reporting to the province and things like that is 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 that the kind of reason why that might happen i think it's it's a it's a it's a gentle balance with with acknowledging that um, we have violence in the schools, but necessarily when we're talking about violence, we're not talking about violent students. We're talking about the behavior and we're talking about why these behaviors are occurring. And so it, it, sometimes uh, the system gets its back up because no one wants to hear um, anyone say that we have violent students. And that's not what we're right. saying. We're yeah. saying that, and I think that's part of it. Uh, mm-hmm. Once they, that is, once you're filling out a violence incident, it's sort of um, putting a negative perception on on students, and, mm. and that's not what we're trying to do. I think we're trying to have a conversation to say there's interrupted learning that's happening here, and everyone is is benefiting if the students get the support and if administrators look at what is being reported and and come on board to work together so that that student can succeed and everyone else in the class, that it's not automatically that the teacher is not um, deal, doing what they need to be doing, or the educator is, uh, is not supporting the class and not managing uh, those behaviors appropriately. And so we're working on that. We're working to see that it goes beyond that. We're looking at what sort of supports are students getting, and they're not getting the supports. You know, to the, to the average Joe, uh, or Jane, who who's listening to this to this episode, and they might have a kid uh, in, uh, in in the system. You know, th- they might be shaking their head at this and saying, "Like, hey, well, how did we get here?" Because you know, I, I'm 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 not a. I like to think of myself as young at heart, <laughs> but you know, back back in my day when I when I went through through elementary school, if you know, if I acted up, if I if or or if something happened that that was escalated to that point you know it, you I, I would never have dared dreamed of doing it because you know i'd be called down to the principal's office and and given a talk to you and you know god forbid my parents be called and i'd be you know then it, then it's game over joel mm-hmm. and i'm wondering what what are the what are teachers saying that, that has changed you know from from the days past or or, or is this the same situation we're approaching to like it's just it seems to be a, a different culture in our school system that would allow this this behavior to go kind of unaddressed or, or unanswered and that we're just leaving on teachers to 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 do this you know I, i'm just wondering like where where did things kind of take a left turn 
from from the olden days. And I'm sorry if I sound like a grumpy old man for saying that, but I, I, I think there are a lot of people who are listening saying that, saying, what went wrong here? Uh, and I think part of that conversation is uh, people not understanding what's taking place within schools. Uh, and, and, you know, when I went, when I was in, in, in high school or elementary school was very different. There was a certain uh, level of respect for, for the, for the teacher. So the, the name calling that you're hearing, the, the racial slurs, the, the, the cursing, those sort right. of things would have, would have never uh, happened uh, in, in schools. Uh, so those are some of the uh, non-physical sort of violence that occurs. Uh, and, and there's, there are a lot of uh, different factors that are occurring now in regards to uh, home situation, uh, you know, parents working, uh, you know, students on their own. There, there are a lot of things that create uh, a different dynamics where parents are not as uh, engaged and they are, they are trusting uh, the system. And, and there are a lot of kids who are, who are raising themselves, which is very, very different. But also, you know, when I went to school, you know, there was a guidance counselor, right? There was someone there that you could, you could get a social worker. There were child and youth care workers. So if you got into uh, an issue, there was someone there who could, you know, you can, they would take you aside. They could spend an hour with you, talking with you. There's no one to do that, right? There's no one to kind of guide students. There is a lack of those key support services that are that are not there. So if a child is having a very difficult day uh, because there is something going on at home and they're lashing out at the teacher or the student before you could, you know, have someone right away to uh, assist to, to help, those supports aren't there. You're, wait, you're waiting months uh, for that to happen. And it, the the, the, the teacher is expected uh, to be able to deal with all that, know with all that, and we're, we're not able to do that. And I think that it's a combination of those issues that you see. Um, people had the time to, to, to do that. It, and, that. That very much is a theme, I, I think, that, that um, the teachers are, are put in the position of being social workers and, and, and mental health support, and they don't feel qualified or, or trained to, to do to fill that role because it's like, no, we're here to educate, not to deal with the problems that society has. And everybody acknowledges that and everybody is sympathetic uh, to that, but we can't do all those things. I mean, do you think there's just, just, well, I mean, I guess there's a number of related questions which really come back to the sort of provincial government. Um, do you think there's a kind of policy of, we heard someone talking about healthcare um, last week, um, you know, saying, you know, this is a deliberate policy to make, to create a culture of failure where people lose faith in uh, public services. Do you, th do you think there's any sense that the same thing could be happening in education too? Well, when we, when we, um, when a government releases its fiscal budget and it's got $2 million in, 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 in surpluses, and we don't see any of that. Um, did I say 2.1 2, 2 billion? Correct myself <laughs> in, in surpluses. Right? I mean, no, yeah, in, in surplus. And we don't see that invested in education, knowing what's happening in the system. Uh, there's a concern when we're seeing uh, parents are giving money for, for tutoring to take that money out of public dollars uh, to invest in, in private tutoring as opposed to providing that within the system where every child can get that, that support. Many parents are, are working out, are still working in the evening. And if they're not, they've finished work. They don't have the time to, to go to two hours or to drive or take the bus, depending on your situation. So instead of a government investing 
those sorts of funds back into the system so that you can have smaller class sizes to give attention to those students. You can have the educational assistance that are, are there, that there, it's more than, you know, one to what, maybe six or seven kids, those low, those ratios are lower, they can get those attention. We're seeing this government not doing that. The Financial Accountability Office, I believe in the next six years, right, there's going to be over $6 billion of a further deficit. And so this government is not showing a commitment to doing that. And when you hear words like, um, you know, parent choice, shouldn't parents have the choice? We're giving them this, this money so they can have the choice to pick their tutoring. It's really a way of, um, of moving towards privatization. As you said, watching the system crumble, you take out so much resource, who wants to actually be within the public system? So instead of investing in good public services, education and healthcare, we're seeing a, a, a slow erosion uh, of dollars into the private system. We know many of those parents who receive this money don't send their kids to, to public school, and yet they're getting those funds. So there, there is a, there is definitely um, a deliberate attempt to to create chaos and to undermine uh, our good public system. I think it should also be pointed out that you know to say parental choice as a parent. I know that I don't have a lot of choice where I live. It's not as if I can go down to the education market and uh, and and buy the the right curriculum for my for my kids at a discount price. That's not how the the system set up. Nor nor I don't think we want it to be. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm I'm gonna. I just know I know for a fact that there there are parents sitting here and they're saying you know, they're, they're going to come back to the old tired uh, uh, trope of teachers have it so good. You know, you're, you're just asking for more. You're, you, 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 I have to make do with what I got. Why don't you, you, you make do with what you've got. And, and that, that old, old argument that I think has been there since the, since the education system was founded in confederation I want to get, I want to give you the microphone. When you said, what, what do you say to that? The parent who just says, you know, you need to suck it up and just deal with it and teach my kid. Mm-hmm. What, 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 what do you say to something like that, that you're, that we're going to hear? Mm-hmm. I know we're going to hear in our responses to this episode. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's, it's, it's challenging because everyone's been to school. So they think ah, I went through, it's no big right. deal. I made it. I'll be, be fine. But I think a lot of parents don't understand that the system has changed so dramatically. The supports and resources that were there uh, are not are not there, and that you'd be surprised uh, in regards to the amount of time uh, that is 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 interrupted during the day. That's taken away from your 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 child, your grandchild, your nephew, your niece's learning because of things of, of violence that's happening in the school. And so the the working conditions. The, the supports that are there are students learning conditions. So if they're learning in, you know, in overcrowded classrooms, they're not really learning, right? It's, it's being, they're, they're not getting the attention. That's why people send their kids to private schools. Those great ratios mm-hmm. of one to 15, it's not there, right? And so when you see, when you see students are, are struggling, it's because those resources that you might've had when in school. And it's not just about, you know, teachers, Oh, just suck it up and do your job. We are doing our job, but we could do our job so much better if we had the supports to help your your son, your daughter, your your grandchild, mm-hmm. your nephew or, or niece succeed. And that's what it's about. It's education is a great equalizer. 
And if we are not investing in that, that can't happen. Under the conditions, uh, educators and teachers are, are doing the, the, the best they can despite that. But we're sort of sh- trying to shine the light on some of the things that are happening. Because kids aren't going home and telling their parents, oh, yeah, right. you know, we, we had to, you know, uh, close down the classroom today. We had to evacuate the classroom today yet again. They're not having those conversations. So we're saying it's, I, it's important. And that didn't happen that. when you and I were going to school, right? I, yeah. I can vouch for that. I, I try to, when my kids come home from the end of the day and I try and say, hey, what did you do today? Nothing. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you stare at the wall for, stare at the wall for six hours. What, um, but it, and, and I mean, I, I can't, I mean, I've been told, given stories by a variety of teachers from across the 905 stories that I can't repeat because they could be personally identifiable to either a teacher or a student. I can't repeat them, but they would, they, they would shock our listeners to hear this kind of things that happened fairly routinely. Uh, and, and certainly there's a, you know, there's a, there's a ground level of disruption that happens every day in classrooms. Um, where again, the teacher may feel that you know, basically one student out of 30 or 35 or however many of the numbers are just uh, dominates their attention to the exclusion of the, of all the other students because they're, specific problems are not being properly addressed or properly supported. And again, it's not to um, in any way negatively imply anything negative about that student. Um, It's the support that they need to be educated appropriately within the context of the wider school. Uh, And yeah, to kind of get across that message of of just how bad things can be. Um, and, And in, you know, prosperous communities uh, like in Halton or, uh, you know, we're not just talking about sort of inner city schools here. Um, It's, it's, it's happening everywhere. Um, You know, a a point that was made to us by at least one person, I think it was probably multiple people uh, was that, you know, it's not a matter of if a teacher is killed, it's a matter of when, Um, because that, you know, uh, that's the kind of level of problems that, that, that we see. And that when we report this or when we complain, we're, we're told you're the problem. Um, now, you know, okay, that's anecdotal. I'm, I'm not suggesting that what I've heard is, is, is uh, reflective of the entire uh, community of teachers. I don't know. Um, but, but that's pretty serious, uh, a pretty serious sort of accusation of the, that suggests a very different situation to, to what I was familiar with when I was at school back in the dark ages. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's pretty extreme. And, and, you know, I'm with elementary, mm-hmm. high school, we've seen a lots of violence in the high schools. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, anything could happen. We're seeing a lot of gun violence where, you know, students are, are, are engaged, but that there's nothing that says an educator can, can land in the middle of that. I think what I also want to really highlight here is the, the emotional toll of what's happening with violence in schools and the lack of support is taking on the profession. Uh, you're seeing that there's um, a lot, a lot of fail to fills where they're having a hard time getting occasional teachers. Uh, that's, that's because they're like, I'm not going into these schools. Our occasional teachers are like, they're not safe. I'm not being supported by administration. Uh, there aren't any resources and I, I'm highly skilled and qualified. I can do something else for this level of, um, putting myself at risk, right? Physically, because not only there's a psycho, there's a psychological um, uh, pressure and there's a physical pressure. And we're, we're seeing that the, 
the, the trauma that our members are witnessing day in, day out. They're going home agitated, exhausted, tempered uh, because of what they've experienced or witnessed within the system. And they're, and, they're, and they're leaving the system within their first five years. And so we're seeing that. You're seeing uh, the faculty students are now, they're not even completed uh, teaching and they're in the classroom. Uh, school boards are trying to find anyone that's breathing to be an emergency supply uh, because people are saying the conditions are, are not uh, what they used to be. And, and I can actually you know, work somewhere else, less stress and not... Uh, witness and experience this this violence. Many of our members have had concussions, have had injuries with the shins and have had really, you know, physical trauma. And um, that can, and people are seeing that and they're saying, this needs to stop. We need to get these students support. Administrators need to take this seriously. The government needs to work on training uh, uh, for our administrators, for our educators around this. And, and so that we can actually do what we need to do. So to say it's not really an issue, we're, we're seeing the impacts now where they're having a hard time getting people to come into the classrooms as teachers or early, early childhood educators, right? You're seeing the, the school bus driver or the crossing guard or someone's nephew or grandma being pulled in uh, that day. And that shows a level of where the system is at. And parents need to be concerned like who, who is that in front of their child's in front of their child? Is that even a qualified teacher? And we're hearing more and more, it's actually not. Is it a qualified early child educator? And absolutely not. This problem is, it's, I think it's kind of, a, it seems so simple, but it's so, so big. And I'm wondering from your perspective and from the teachers that you support their perspective, what was driving this? Cause it sounds like there's like a fear from the administration of, of these schools to pro, to put down discipline or to put you know to hold to guidelines and, and just standards of behavior that you and I are expected to adhere to in our professional and day to day adult lives. We question why don't we kind of impart this again onto children? But there's but this reluctance to kind of step in or to step on to be on the side of teachers. Uh, seems to be there from what you're describing. And I'm wondering where, where do you think this reluctance or this fear of siding with teachers to go out to the province, or is it they're, they're fearful of parental backlash? They, they feel that they don't have the parents on their side. Do they feel that the funding from the province is going to be cut off for their particular board? If too many uh, problems get get brought up, you know, I, I guess just where's this coming from? This, this, this fear that seems to exist in our school system where it didn't before. Yeah, I think it's a, combi it's a combination of things because no one wants to um, sort of identify a, a child too early or make them appear to be a, a target or a stereotype or sort of lump them into a particular category. So oftentimes you're, you're, you're erring on the side of, of, of caution, but not actually looking at some of the factors that are actually at play in this particular situation and looking at it case by case. Sometimes we just take a blanket approach because it's much easier. And, I, I'm, I'm, and I'm just giving from some of the examples that I deal with. I'm, there are many good administrators in the system. I'm not saying they're all, but I'm saying there, there, is, um, there is a great concern in um, wanting to address some of those behaviors 
Is it depending on the community that they're in? Is it a highly over-engaged community? And so there's a concern around uh, a parental a pushback. Is there a philosophy of, oh, that's not really serious? But it's a, it's a combination of the, of the factors. And I think, you know, just because I'm, uh, uh, an educator uh, it hasn't, you know, lost an eye or, or broken an arm, that, that being kicked, <laughs> hit, punched, spat at, Desk thrown, chairs thrown is not normal and shouldn't no. be part of the job. And I think we're working with them to say that's not becoming part of a workplace expectation. It's almost like you're a teacher that comes with the territory. So there needs to be a philosophical shift as opposed to addressing it. And I think that's what we're seeing. Administrators are like, well, you know, that's part of your job to, to deal with that. Well, no, part of our do- job is to deal with the, yeah. the students and we need your your support. So there's a lot of dismissiveness of what is actually, um, quote unquote, violence. So that's just normal behavior that those are just kids acting out. Well, they shouldn't be. And if they are, we need to provide the, the supports. And sometimes it's it's taking the time to go through the identification to the resources People don't want to do that. I don't have all the answers, but these are some right. of the things that our members are feeling uh, are, are some of the reasons. So it seems like there's, I mean, there's a lot of really good intentions is the impression I get is like mm-hmm. good intentioned uh, innovations uh, coming from school boards or administration that sometimes don't entirely reflect the kind of reality on the ground. And uh, I know, you know one of the buzzwords that, that I've kind of heard around is like collaborative problem solving which is the idea, which is a great sounding idea it's like you have children who do something wrong and rather than just you know sending them to the head you know some some old school kind of punishment you're trying to work out the source of of the behavior and it's like yeah completely supportive of that kind of thing but there also needs to be that kind of uh, ground there also need to be those boundaries of of oh there will be consequences if you cross this line and you cannot repeatedly be racist or homophobic or transphobic or use uh, disgusting language or vandalize school property or attack a teacher without there being consequences and it, it seems to me like that kind of that lack of consequences is, is is really at the root of a lot of things that are going amiss here and that's what we're hearing from our our, our members that um sometimes you know sometimes the students aren't um given the opportunity to really reflect on their behavior and to be held accountable and those conversations with parents and looking at an action plan and how do we correct that behavior as opposed to sometimes it's just dismissed and, you know, <laughs> I'll go to the office and it's a fun time at the office for a while. And then they're back in the classroom we hear. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. we know those are not, you know, like I said, that's not the norm. Um, but there is, where is sort of that, um, there are things that are acceptable and, and not acceptable. And there are, you said, there are, there are consequences of uh, being accountable uh, for your behavior. And that they're, you know, depending on the age of the start, child, but grade, those, those will adjust. And our members don't, we don't uh, administer that discipline, that that is the role of the, the, the principal. Yeah. Uh, but in regards to um, a reoccurrence and what, what fits? I think there's been conversations in, in regards to that. And there is a, there is a hesitancy 
um, in, in, in doing that. And we understand that because some communities, some kids um, are, are, are targeted uh, a little bit more, are, are more identified uh, uh, from some communities, racialized communities, black communities as being more disruptive. So there's some, there are some things there around discipline and different uh, issues that are taken in consideration in regards to biases and all, and all those situations. But we're saying, our members are saying uh, overall, uh, it needs to be taken much more serious uh, before, like you said, something dramatically, drastically happens uh, for a, a school board or a government uh, to wake up to the level of violence. Uh, just because they're in kindergarten or grade two doesn't mean that they can't engage in behaviors that hurt others and students are witnessing this behavior. Um, and seeing as as acceptable. Well, I mean that's that's just said. I mean it, you, I think we can all say why would you be afraid of a grade two student? They're you know probably like a third your size, but I, th- I think we we kind of forget that the a the teacher can't be monitoring everyone in the class all the time. It's just not humanly possible. And what happens when that student crosses the line with another student to cause? injury or, or some physical violence to them, um, which is or something to themselves or to themselves. Absolutely. Students who are physically harming themselves. I, you know, let's, I'll put, I'll put it back to you. You know, maybe somebody in the ministry is, is listening to this episode and, you know, knock on wood, maybe minister Lecce himself is listening. And if you are, come on the podcast, we have lots of questions yeah, we'd for love you. To talk to you. Yeah. What would you want? What do you want to see happen? What, what, what does Edfo Want. I'm not asking for like your your bargaining position, but just <laughs> in, a, in a in a perfect world, you know, your the 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 coffers are open, the 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 plans are open. And you're able to rewrite how how the how do schools operate in this regard? What would you want to see happen? There absolutely have to be uh, training uh, training for our our educators um, on how to deal with some of these situations. They were not experts in all sorts of mental health issues, but there needs to be ongoing training about reporting, evaluating, assessing, uh, training for our school administrators is, is key. Uh, we need to look at the resources, what is available to students. We need to invest in our social workers. We need to invest in our EAs, our child and youth care workers, psychologists. Those key supports are not there. You know, apparently we had all these school nurses doing COVID. I didn't, I didn't hear about too many of them, but they used to be a, a key factor coming into, into the schools. Uh, so those are critical. Those frontline support workers are needed more than ever because the issues that we're facing are so great, right? The mental health, we, uh, People for Education released a report on the, the stressors that students and, and educators are feeling. Right. So the, the level of mental health is 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 rising. And in order to address that, that's key in in class sizes. It's we need to lower those class sizes so that they can get the more attention. You know, you're hearing all oh, that one student in your child that's that might be violent. There's there's more than one. And there and there's there might be the, the child that's issue, experiencing issues of violent outbursts. But there there's a special needs child that needs that. Uh, support. There's that child who's the slower learner. There's the gifted child who who wants to excel, and and, and so there are all these things, and they can all benefit um, with those one-to-one attention. And we need to be putting money into the system. 
So I, I, I think that's a key thing. We, we should not be um, taking money out of the system. Is this a question of the system itself, not just in regards to this one, one topic, but overall is very much a cookie cutter system that you're expected, your child is expected to go and fit this mold. You're expected to learn math, history, English, science, geography, and, or, you know, the, and, and you're supposed to learn it in a specific way and come out and be a top-notch, perfect student, citizen in Ontario. And I think we can all agree after all of us have spent years in an education system, one form or another, it does not work like that. You know, our, our, we all learn in a different capacity. We all have different issue, interests and passions that drive us. And we have different talents that help us work out math problems faster than others or some of us are able to read at a comprehensive level far greater than some of our peers at any given stage it's about time that maybe we we start addressing education in a more individual individualistic approach and kind of find that flexibility to tailor an education system not just to the uh, uh students with who need like an, an independent learning program but just mm-hmm kind of identify like, okay, you know, little, little Jimmy really does well at math, but he needs to work on reading comprehension, but little Janie loves art, but really struggles at math being very generic here, but it's, it's about time we start kind of rethinking education in that regard to, to help our students really succeed, which ultimately is what we all want, isn't it? It, it is. And you, you talked about, um, you know, not a one size fits all model. We're talking about students with special needs and giving them the tools that they need funding based on their needs, not just because they fit in a particular category and you're getting this amount of money and that's it. But that comes also with teacher professional judgment and the ability to, mm-hmm. to modify the, the, the program uh, for a particular student. But with the, you know, with standardization coming in, EQO testing, a lot of that, it goes, it, is, it goes out the window when they're trying to make things so standardized. Where is that individualization? And that's where privatization comes in. You make it so standardized that anyone can deliver it. It doesn't have to be a teacher to deliver it. And it, it's a very rote system. And it's, and it's just based on the outcomes of a test. And that's snapshot in time. So it's not based on what the teacher would see that you're doing and those modifications that are being made to your program so that you can succeed. And that's what a true uh, education system would look like. Yeah, a program would be that, you know, and that's what teachers try to do, try to um, move you from one particular uh, level to another based on your, your skills, right? And then that scaffolding, uh, if you're excelling in, in, in science to perhaps gear you into a particular direction for a project or, or those sorts of things. So you can see where you mm. actually shine. And I, and I think one of the things that the pandemic has, has shown us, uh, you know, uh, parents uh, really do appreciate teachers a lot more and education mm-hmm. workers a lot more as a result of the pandemic, having to been home uh, with their kids, trying to do online learning just with their maybe one or two children and, and, and seeing how it is with kids yes. not paying attention and, yes, indeed. Asleep <laughs> and, and just, you know, keeping their focus when it's just one child. So I think there are the, I think there are a lot of parent groups and, and communities um, that are going to be pushing uh, for the importance of, of investing in the system because they've experienced uh, how some of the challenges and how challenged it is just to engage their own child. So I think 
there are some good things that came out of that and, and parents are um, beginning to pay more, more attention and are, um, you know, are been more vocal around the investments that are needed having experienced that. I know that uh, just we're coming to the end of our time. We must let you go. Um, I was fortunate to uh, have some excellent teachers as a child who uh, teachers who noticed that I, I struggled at school. I was not a, uh, a good student, um, uh, but had the time and the ability and the support in those days to, to find solutions for me. Uh, the men that I could, succeed get to university eventually and and stay at university far too long (laughs) um it's it's life-changing it's it's uh, not life-changing not just for me but for everybody i know and 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 as a whole life-changing for for the society that i'm a part of i mean i'm not talking about myself now i'm just talking as as a rule teachers are the foundation of so much uh that 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 and education is the competitive advantage that we have in Ontario and in Canada with the rest of the world. It's like, what can we do that we can do better than other people? We can educate. And um, it's such an important thing. One final question for you. Um, if there's any teachers listening to this podcast who feel that you know they are threatened in their classroom on a day-to-day basis, that they feel they are not safe, what should they do? Mm-hmm. I mean, every every teacher has a, a, a there's a union steward uh, in their school, and if they they don't, they should be contacting uh, their their local office, their local union office, to say, hey, I have a concern. They don't have to have it acted on right away, but they can listen uh, and get some information on what their options are. Uh, should they have filed an incident report? Is this something just with a conversation with the with the principal? Um, are they should there be some um, things put in place in regards to a safety plan? Uh, so it depends and they can guide them through and it is confidential. I think people are often hesitant to contact the union office because, oh my gosh, I'm going to get in trouble if my administrator knows. It's, it's all confidential and they don't act. The union doesn't act on anything that you don't want us to act on, but to know your rights. It's, it's important. Your right to refuse unsafe work. If you are feeling that uh, you know, you're, you're in a violent situation and it's not safe. Uh, we can guide you through that, that process on what that is. But there are steps that can take place uh, in advance and we can support you to have those conversations. It might be just to give you the tools to have your conversations with your administrator. Some, admit, uh, some members aren't even aware of these, the, the incident forms. And we're saying, are you aware? And these are the steps. And if there's no action, these are the next steps. So it's to guide you through to, to protect you and also just to encourage you that uh, it's a great profession, that you are making a difference. There are times that those particular issues can make you feel like, am I making a difference? And having been a, a teacher close to what I think I'm in my 30th year now, uh, I, you are making a difference. There's always going to be one that you're going to run into at a McDonald's or a Burger King and they say, hey, miss, I've had those, you know, thank you for helping me here or there. Uh, so, you know, I, I want to say that uh, there is a student there that's appreciating your, your work and what you're doing. And we'll continue to advocate for you and for this government to appreciate appreciate you. I think what we're seeing is a, a devaluing of the pro- profession, uh, not appreciating the work that people are, are doing. Uh, you know, you, you go into teaching because you, you love it. You go into be an early child educator because you, you, you love it. And um, I encourage those who are having some challenges uh, to let us know. There are also supports uh, through EAP. uh, If you're experiencing any sort of trauma and need those additional 
psychological supports because it can be um, qu quite traumatic to, to witness some of, some of those things, but uh, that we are here and we're, we're fighting uh, for, you know, to improve your uh, conditions, whether it's through bargaining or through general conversations, through lobbying, uh, we know it's important and we'll continue to, uh, to, to do that, but don't hesitate uh, to reach out uh, to us. And as I said, you know, communities and, and parents um, are, are beginning to mobilize and, and organize around some of these concerns, which is, which is great. Karen Brown, uh, President of EFTO, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me. I'm Connie Teeson, the host of Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast. We focus on Canada and the challenges facing Canadian radio and TV, as well as highlighting those moving the industry forward from podcasting and streaming to new broadcast tech. Check us out at broadcastdialogue.com or your favorite podcast app. <laughs> That's it for this episode of the 905er. Thank you for listening. As always, you can send us your feedback, thoughts, and concerns, or ideas for future episodes to our email, info at 905er.ca. We'd love to hear from you. You can help us keep the 905er going by financially supporting us through Patreon as well as PayPal. Visit us at 905er.ca and click on the support tab. As well, links are in the show notes for your convenience. Lastly, you can find us on social media. Search for the underscore 905er on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. So long for now. See you next time. Listeners, I'm Christy. And I'm Melissa. And this is Buried Motives, where we dig deep into the details of some of the most gruesome dirtbag murderers. She said she enjoyed hurting things that can't fight back. And that is a disturbing view into the mind of a murderer in such a dirtbag. Yeah, that's not even strong enough words. This is totally a recipe for disaster and not to justify whatever is going to happen, but you can totally understand and see how this would be in the works. If you were only to look at what she did later on and not know any of that history, she would appear like off the wall crazy. Oh, 100% because we're not even close to getting to the end yet. But you can just see this pattern and all this kind of stuff developing in her, which is what we're here for. We're digging deep. Join us each Thursday as we unearth the dirt bags that live among us and the motives buried there. Hope you join us as we exhume the truth. <laughs>